Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. G.K. Chesterton, um, in speaking about uh, or reminding God's people of the joy that they have, once said this. He said, joy, which is the small publicity of the pagans, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan. What does he mean by this? He means quite clearly that, that uh, the joy of the pagan is fleeting. This is, this is what happens to most of us when we talk about Christmas or when we talk about a holiday. We get there, and there's a little bit of joy. Okay, I got the present I was looking for. Or I, got, I, I received something that I was happy about. That's the pagan's joy, and it is fleeting. But the Christian's joy is actually a gigantic joy. Uh, the, the problem, though, is that that gigantic joy is often a secret, and it's a secret that the world needs to know. I'd love for you to, to listen to this. This is from Robbie Castleman, who is a, uh, who is a, uh, a professor of theology at John Brown University. He said this, uh, referring to Chesterton's quote, he said, The gigantic secret of the Christian needs to be let out of the bag today. Amen. The gigantic secret of the Christian needs to be let out of the bag today. Joy needs to break forth as a new rhythm of life in the middle of the mundane, in the mire of the world's misery, and even in the midst of sinners. Now, this is where this is going to make a lot of sense to each one of us because we're all going through things in our life. Now, this gigantic joy, Castleman goes on to say, this gigantic joy has nothing to do with the thin frivolity that attempts to make church fun or worship a storefront window to get the crowd in the door. This is why we don't subscribe to the attractional model church and and all of those things, because that's actually not a, a legitimate joy. All of us know this, that if that's our only joy, when you're facing trial in life, when, when you lose a loved one, when you don't have the celebration you were expecting because just there's tension or there's chaos, uh, the, the going to a big church with a fancy light show will not override the frustrations or the hurt that you're in, will it? No, of course not. And anybody who's lived long enough knows that stuff won't satisfy. So Robbie Castleman points it out in a really great way. And then he says this, he says, the joy is gigantic because it refuses to domesticate transcendence. You can't put God in a box. How many of you have said that? You can't put God in a box. Yes, because the joy that is gigantic of the Christian, the joy that is secret, sadly, of the Christian, is a joy that can't be domesticated. Gigantic joy is rooted in the fear of the Lord. Gigantic joy is not impervious to pain. Hear me, church. It is not impervious to pain or inattentive to heartbreak. Gigantic joy doesn't laugh in the midst of tsunami sorrow, broken promises, or the irrevocable consequences of sinful rebellion. What gigantic joy does is gives the Christian a bottomless pool of hope that allows the Christian the energy and steadfastness to not grow weary in doing well. It's powerful. Powerful. What our joy is, is a joy that doesn't, doesn't pretend like we don't face trial. Amen? Our joy is a joy that doesn't pretend like we don't get sick. We do. 
When you have four girls, you get sick, and then they spread it again, and you get sick again, and then they spread it, and you get sick again because your house is a Petri dish. That's what my house is, right? So you, you don't, you're not surprised at these things. You just know that they happen, and yet you maintain joy through them. The Christian has a great joy when it comes to the loss of loved ones. If that loved one is a Christian, what, do we, what, what joy do we have? There is coming a day. Did you know this, church? There is, a coming, there is coming a day, according to Corinthians, in which it's not now. It's not now. You've, you've got to be careful. You may have read your Bible wrong. But there is coming a day when we, as Christians, are going to taunt death. Did you know that? Right now, we ought to humble ourselves, right? <laughs> we ought to humble ourselves. This is why we don't take on the devil, do we? Right? No. We resist the devil, but... Just as Michael the archangel talks to uh, Moses, right? He's not going to say a bad thing about or talks about uh, the devil. He didn't, he didn't uh, talk a bad thing about the devil, Michael the archangel. Why? It's, it's God's deal to sort out, right? But there's coming a day when we will taunt death. Corinthians says, on that day, you will say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, the sad part is we're not at that day yet. I wish we were. <laughs> Sometimes. You know, but there is coming a day. So there's the joy that we have. Robbie Castleman goes on. He says, this kind of joy is the secret of being able to face sin and sorrow honestly and still in the day singing the doxology. Praise God in whom all blessings flow. Isn't that an amazing idea? It's an amazing idea. So, so this morning, in, in borrowing a little bit of those themes that we talked about through Advent, what I want to do is I want to talk about how we maintain our gigantic joy, not in secret, by, mind you, <laughs> how we maintain our gigantic joy after December 25th. Because here's what happens. December 26th comes, and most people go, oh, 365 days till Christmas again. <laughs> I know how you are. I see your Facebook posts. Okay, so 365 days till Christmas. And it, let me translate that for you. 365 days until I can finally be joyful again. Ah, you don't have to lose your joy. It's here now. It's with you now. It is this gigantic joy that stays with us and looks at the pain and the sorrow that we face and says, my God is still on the throne. Amen. So, so what we see uh, from our Advent series is, again, that God is king. King Jesus is on the throne. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. All authority. He's winning. <laughs> if he's winning, we're winning. Life is good, right? We know another thing, that, that God is our Savior. We were steeped in sin, and he redeemed us from that sin. Amen, church? We were once unclean, and he has washed us clean. What an amazing truth. Now, that doesn't, by any stretch of the imagination, say that Christians uh, uh, are now uh, incapable of sinning. Can I get an amen? amen? Just say amen for your neighbor because they need you to be honest with them, right? So the idea, the idea here is that we, we can continue to sin, but it is not because we have not been cleansed. It's because we refuse to say no to temptation. Amen? What a pain. But, but we're all there. We all do it. And when we do that, God says, confess your sins, and I will be faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. 
What a powerful idea. So again, God is loving. So we have a savior, we have a king, and then I loved this piece of our Advent series. We also have an Emmanuel. We have God who is with us, not was with us. He didn't check out 2,000 years ago, I saved you from your sins, I'll see you when I return. That's not the way it works. He saved us from our sins, and then he said, I will be with you because I'm going to send my helper, the Spirit of God, to dwell with you and in you. This is what we have. We have a hope inside of all this. Now, those hopes should, those pieces of hope uh, and pieces of joy should lead us forward. But this morning, I want to share with you five key scriptures. And if you're a note taker, you can write them down. But five key scriptures that are going to help us understand uh, this gigantic joy and what it is rooted in. The gigantic joy that we have and what it's rooted in. So the first one is Psalm 96, verses 11 through 13. Follow this with me. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the screen and you can walk through this uh, with me. I'm going to turn this just ever so slightly so maybe you can see it. Okay, now I'm blocking you, but smile. (laughs) Anyway, okay. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing with joy or sing for joy before the Lord. Why in the world is creation singing for joy? What does creation know, gigantic joy, what does creation know about their joy that we seem to miss? Look at what it goes on to say. The psalmist goes on and says this, for he is coming, he is coming to judge the earth. Now I know what we're thinking, right off the bat we go, it's not always great, Nathan. Uh, We've got a judge coming, yes, but what are the qualities in which our judge judges? What, what, what does he judge with? Does he judge uh, with a fickle attitude because he's mad at you on Tuesday? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He judges with something very powerful. Look at what the psalmist goes on to say. He says this, He will judge the world in righteousness, and the people in his, say it with me, church, faithfulness. But see, that word right there is something that we often overlook. Because it says that he will judge the peoples in his faithfulness. I'm sure glad he's not always judging us on our faithfulness. Amen? So he judges with his faithfulness. My dad used to say something to me uh, many years ago. Um, He used to say this to me, and I I always struggled with it. I always wondered if my dad was, uh, was struggling with his assurance with Jesus Every time I bring up my mom or my dad in a sermon, they have no idea I'm doing it, just so you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, so they're just as embarrassed as you would think they would be. Anyway, so, but my dad, he used to say this all the time, and I was, when he'd say it, and I'll share it with you in a second, when he'd say it, I always wonder if he struggled with his assurance before God, if he struggled with that, that Jesus loved him and Jesus knew him. But here was the problem. I was missing the point. I actually didn't understand. I was, I was just dumb. Okay, And so my dad would say this. My dad would say, Nathan, if when I stand before uh, the judgment seat of God, because we all will, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. He said, if when I stand before the judgment seat of God, God looks me in the eye, and this is, this is hard pill to swallow, but he says, if God looks me in the eye and says, you are an unfaithful servant, I don't know you. He said, God will have made that judgment in his goodness and his justice and his righteousness. His judgment will be good. Now I looked at that and I thought, Dad, are you, you, 
Do we need to come to Jesus moment? What, what, what do we need here? Do we need to pray the prayer again? Never mind. Anyway, so do, do we need to do this kind of thing? What was my dad actually getting at? He was not getting at his insecurity. Maybe he, maybe he was. But what my dad would want me to get and what I've finally gotten in my life is actually the character of my God. If God judges and condemns somebody, he is good in doing so. And do you know what happens every time we say, how could a good God, do you know who you've set yourself up above? God. You've declared your goodness, your love, your compassion. It's just so much better than his. Because if he would consult you, it would go better for everybody else. How many of you know that that's what we do? We do this all the time. How could a good God, how could God let bad things happen to good, good who the heck are you talking about? Good people? No. God is gracious to broken, sinful people whom he redeems and makes new. Okay? So my dad would say that, and it finally dawned on me. It's the joy that we have. It's the gigantic joy that we have in Psalm 96. God is coming to judge the earth, but here's what you can rest in, church. He is going to judge the world in righteousness, and he is going to judge the world in his faithfulness. His judgments will be good. So the first thing that you need to know about this gigantic joy of ours is that our gigantic joy is rooted in the righteous, faithful judgment of God. Write this down if you're a note taker. Our gigantic joy is rooted in the righteous, faithful judgment of God. So here's, here's where you can have joy even in the midst of pain and sorrow in your life. You're looking at a situation in your life and you're thinking, it doesn't seem like justice is being served. It doesn't look like God is on the throne. He's not helping us out here. It looks like evil continues to triumph. How many of you know David felt this pretty much every day of his life when he was running from Saul, running from his own son? There's a lot that's going on here. And guess what David did? He continued to press on because David had joy. David being the writer of the psalm too. David had a joy that knew that God was going to judge in faithfulness and righteousness and goodness. David's gigantic joy was rooted in the righteous, faithful judgment of God. We need to carry that joy from December 26th into and through December 23rd of next year. <laughs> because then when Christmas comes, we'll just be that much more excited. We'll have that many more reasons for why we celebrate King Jesus. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 13 second piece of our gigantic joy. This is a fun one. Here's what Isaiah says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Do you see the call to repentance here? Let the wicked man turn. That's what this is all about. So he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he, who is he here? Come on, speak it up. You're right, it's God. He, God, will, emphasis mine, okay? Emphasis mine. Yes, we can read it the way it's written and he will have compassion on him. Or you can read it with the emphasis and you can understand God is making a promise here. If the unrighteous will repent, God will have compassion on him. He's not, it's not up in the air, okay? It's not up in the air. 
He wants you to repent. He wants you to call on his name. And if you do, he will be faithful. So he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will, say it with me, church, abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon? I think some of us have a view of God where his pardon is just kind of squeaking us through. (laughs) He is abundantly pardoning those who repent and believe. Amen? Huge joy here, okay? So Isaiah goes on in verse 8. He goes on, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. So who is speaking here? The Lord is speaking here, right? And Isaiah is just recording this or just prophesying this, okay? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you see the repeated contrast here? Doesn't take much. My thoughts and your thoughts. My ways and your ways. And the contrast is God's ways. But here's where we go south constantly as Christians. We read this through the judgmental side of God. God is a judge. But remember, God is judging with righteousness and faithfulness. And remember the loving character of God who says, if the sinner will repent, if people repent, he will be faithful to forgive them. That's, that's huge, okay? And so on top of that, or on the back of that, God comes in and he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we always talk about this through this lens. We always say, man, you're thinking wrong. God thinks better than you think. Submit, you horrible, wretched sinner. This is what's happening. Okay, that's true. That's true. It's just not what the context says. Let me show you what goes on. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The next piece. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout. Notice here the rain falling from heaven or the, or the blessing from God, the things from God are blessings, okay? Pay attention to this. And they don't return without watering the earth or making it bare sprout bear sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The question is, church, what's the matter? What matter has God sent his word for? Look at what the next verse says. Oh, so good. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. This is an image of people walking in repentance before their God. You see, what God just said was, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. If I water the earth to have it return seed for me, it will. Don't you worry. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your thoughts. My, my ways aren't your ways. If I called people to repentance, it's because I love them and want them to repent and be with me. You don't think like I think. You know why? Because you guys are just like me. We look at people and we say, ah, oh, you've done me wrong. Get out. I don't want to talk to you again. I don't want to see you again. I don't want to think about you again. And God says, your ways aren't my ways. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Why? Because I'm a forgiving God and a loving God who still is righteous. I'm still expecting you to recognize you're a daggone sinner. Daggone it. I'm expecting you to realize you're a sinner. I'm expecting you to realize you have to turn away from it. Don't miss his righteousness. Don't miss his justice. 
But also don't miss his thoughts and his ways. He has called you to repentance. So he says, you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy. Do you know that creation, this has Roman 8 echoes in it, doesn't it? Right? What's happening? The creation is longing. It's yearning for the sons of God to be revealed. There they are. Who are the sons of God? Those who repent and believe. Those who confess the name of Jesus and will yield. And he says that the hills are breaking forth with shouts of joy. Creation doesn't keep their joy secret. We do too often. What a sad mess that we're in. So he goes on, he says, he says, they shout with joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. Do you know what the... Do you know what the thorn bush and the nettle, the last time in Scripture we heard those two words? We heard them in Genesis in the curse, because that is the curse. You're going to work really hard, but what's going to, hap- what's going to come up? Thorns and nettles, thorns and thistles, this is what's going to happen. But God is saying now he's redeeming all of that, isn't he? Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord. Why? Because he just reversed the curse. What an amazing idea. It's an amazing idea. For an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Do you know that this sign goes forever? When God, when this whole thing is brought to its full close and Jesus uh, blasts a trumpet from the sky and we are all in this great place where the healing of the nations take place and everything is turned around, do you know that when God remakes the new heaven and the new earth, there is a point in which this everlasting sign, it just never goes the other way. Never goes the other way. We're on a teeter-totter now, aren't we? Sometimes we feel like we're making progress and then something cuts us down. And we feel like we've lost all of this. Here's here's what you need to rest in. Here's your gigantic joy here. With joy, you will be led forth with peace. How many of you know we're in an exodus right now? We have been been delivered from our sin and our captivity and bondage to sin. And we are walking towards a promise that God has made. And the promise is not fully here yet. It's not fully here yet. It's a new heaven and a new earth with a new temple and God dwelling with his people in the physical. It's amazing. Okay, we're looking forward to this, but we're on this journey through the exodus out of our sin. And guess what? God gives us a promise that as we're being led out of this, we can do so with joy and peace. How many of you feel you're being led with joy and peace sometimes? Sometimes. How many of you feel that you're not being led with joy and peace sometimes? Yeah. Let me tell you what's happening. What's happening is as you're, you're walking, you have the ability to trust God. Okay, you have the ability to, what is trust? Trust is faith, faith is trust, that's what we're talking about. You have the ability to walk by faith. But make no mistake, that passage of scripture says that you will be led in peace. It does not say the world around you will be at peace. So, when you're walking through the Red Sea, and there's a tower of water on one side, and there's a tower of water on the other side, is there a chance that you could look at the wind and the waves and get scared? and not be at peace? Yeah, your, your right answer is either amen or heck yeah, okay? <laughs> okay, that's the right answer. Of course, you can feel this way. But that wasn't promised to you, that the world around you would be at peace. It, what was promised to you is Psalm 23, right? 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Because why? Because I have a God whose rod and his staff are comforting me as he leads me into something beautiful. Now, am I in that beautiful place yet? Some days. <laughs> Some days I'm like, Lord, <laughs> there's too many weeds around here. I'm not really liking this. But he's leading us in that. Now, what we have is the opportunity to either walk that journey in the peace of God because we have faith, right? Or, and I'm talking about real faith. Let me, let me take a step here back. I'm talking about real faith. How many of you know that faith is not you claiming something to be true that isn't true or never promised to you and just saying, well, I'm walking in faith? That's not faith. That's wishful thinking. You, you haven't read your Bible. Faith is walking after something God actually promised, okay? And that's a tricky one, too, because there's things that God promises universally, and there's things that God doesn't promise universally. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you're claiming, because when you get let down, you're going to say, well, I guess I just didn't have enough faith. Well, maybe you didn't at one point in your life, but there are also times when you're claiming things that were never promised to you, so knock it off, <laughs> right? Because what you do is you impugn God about it. You impugn God because it doesn't happen. No, it was never said to you. It was never said to you. You should just zip it, right? So that's, that's, my, that's my theological correction for the day. Zip it. Okay, so the idea here is we're called to be led in peace. We have the opportunity to walk by faith in that peace. Even though there's wind and waves around me, what do I know? I have nothing to fear. My God is with me. Amen? This is big, church. This is the gigantic joy we're talking about. Okay, turn to John 16, verses 20 through 22. Actually, let me, let me end that one off with, uh, with my statement here. Go back one slide for me, please. Our gigantic joy. Our gigantic joy is rooted in our peaceful deliverance and the ultimate reversal of the curse. So turn with me now to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, 20 and 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his apostles, and he's telling them that he has to go to the cross. They're going to weep. The world's going to rejoice. You're going to grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. How is our grief going to be turned into joy, or theirs in particular? Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. I'm still waiting to talk to a woman who doesn't remember the... Okay, <laughs> sorry, I went on a soapbox there. Okay, so rabbit trail. Remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. It's pretty powerful, right? Now look at what the next verse says. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again. Here's the promise. Here's the, here's the baby born in this context. I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. Our gigantic joy is rooted in a couple of things. God with us, and that it can't be taken. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Right? You're saved by grace through faith, sure. But the enemy can't come and steal your faith away. Right? The, the neighbor can't come and steal your faith away. No. Either you trust him or you don't trust him. Right? But that's, that's you. 
Okay? So here is our principle for this. Our gigantic joy, the next slide, our gigantic joy is rooted in an irrevocable life lived with the living God. An irrevocable life lived with the living God. Okay, the next one. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I love this verse. It makes me so happy. Okay. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay? Let me sum that up. Uh, You've been made holy. Start acting like it. Okay? So here we go. And he says, And let us run the race with endurance that has been set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's really powerful about this is that you kind of have to read verse 2 and then flip it back to read verse 1. The way Jesus does it is in light of joy, he actually endures the cross, he despises the shame, he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. All because of the gigantic joy set before him, which was the salvation of his creation, the deliverance of his people. But the joy that we have set before us happens to be intertwined with the presence of God, being with him and bringing glory to his name. And so here's what the first verse says. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, people who walked by faith, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin with which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Do you know what our joy enables us to do? Our gigantic joy enables us to recognize that we have been set free from sin and we can walk after God. We don't have the bondage the rest of the world has. That's a joy that you should have. That's a joy that you should revel in. So what's our principle on this? Our gigantic joy. Our gigantic joy is rooted in the fact The fact, say it with me, church, the fact, the fact that we are not only commanded, but empowered to lay aside our sin and run the race of faith with endurance. You want to land your faith on something that I can guarantee you is biblical and promised to all of us as Christians? That is this, you have been set free from sin. You can say no. I know what the protest is. Oh, Nathan, you're advocating that we can then, therefore, live with sinful, sinless perfection. You're telling me that we never have to sin anymore. Well, I've never met a person who's landed that perfectly yet, right? But that in no way is an argument to the truth of what God says. That's diversion. (laughs) That's moving away from the point. The point is you've been set free. Just because you ain't walked in it is not the point, okay? I sure love you. Anyway, so, okay, so this is really, really important. So again, here's our principle from Hebrews uh, 12, 1 and 2. Our gigantic joy is rooted in the fact that we are not only commanded, but empowered. You've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, to lay aside our sin and to run the race of faith with endurance. That's why the scripture calls us to hold fast, to stand firm, to endure to the end. Final passage of scripture is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Here's what Peter would say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to, say it with me church, his great mercy. His great mercy. Don't let that uh, remove from your mind. His great mercy has caused us, who is, who is the cause? 
Who is the one who makes dead people alive? Jesus, right? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without the resurrection, all this is a moot point. Verse 4 goes on. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. There's that continual truth that we have. We have a salvation that is not going to fade. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. Don't, don't miss this. The Bible is uh, laced with this language. The power is God's. The responsibility is to trust it. Right? The power of God through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's over and over throughout the scripture. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes on, verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. Why would you greatly rejoice? Because you have joy. You need to start smiling with me. Or I'm going to come out and pinch your cheeks. or something. Okay, okay. So, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while... If necessary, it's not always necessary, but it does happen. You have been distressed by various trials. Now we're hearkening back to that piece that Robbie Castleman said, right? Gigantic joy of a Christian does not act like death and sickness and pain don't come for Christians. We know it doesn't endure forever, right? Right? So he says you're going to face trials, in this case persecution. You're going to be distressed by various trials so that... So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, gold is perishable, uh, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are uh, people in the church that that assert this idea that the faith that we've been given um, was a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us very clearly that the, the gift of God is the grace that was given and that we have new life. We have all of this because we place our faith in him, okay? Faith is not the gift of God, but the grace is the gift of God. Now, listen to me very clearly. Here's another proof along that line. The other proof along that line is that, do you notice what happens to your faith here? It has to be refined. It has to be purified, It has to be tested, right? If it was given by God, what's the point? Why would God give something that needs to be purified? Why would God give an imperfect gift? He doesn't. Ha ha, right? He gives a perfect gift if he's going to give one. This is you. This is your problem. This is your issue. And that is you either trust him or you don't. And guess why we face trials in this life? Sickness and death and persecution and pain and sorrow. Why do we do it? Because God's testing your faith. He's refining it. He's showing you, you can trust him in every single area of life. Isn't that powerful? This is a joy that we're supposed to have. So he says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When will it be proven? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ, we're waiting. Verses 8 and 9, here's how he concludes. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible joy, and full of glory joy, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, there it is again, your faith, the salvation of your souls. So here's the final principle of our gigantic joy. Our gigantic joy is rooted in obtaining the outcome of our faith, 
Remember, I'm not, uh, I'm not adding to Scripture here. This is what we just read in verses 8 and 9. The gigantic joy is rooted in obtaining God's words, the outcome of our faith, God's words, the salvation of our souls, God's words. Right? This is the joy. Salvation is waiting. Salvation and peace and uh, an eternal salvation, a, a thing that cannot be removed from any of us. What a powerful truth. So in conclusion... Joy is not impervious to pain. Instead, it gives us, as Robbie Castleman said, bottomless, a bottomless pool of hope which enables us to remain steadfast. Again, this kind of joy is the secret of being able to face sin and to face sorrow honestly and still at the end of the day sing the doxology. So as the worship team comes back up and we point our direction towards communion, I want you to realize that when we come together to worship God, when we come together to praise him, um, church, we are able to do that no matter what mood we're in. (laughs) I'm going to look at you all in the eye so that I can make sure you get this. We can worship him and praise him regardless of the mood that we're in. Regardless of the circumstances, the scenario that we're facing in our life right now. Isn't that true? Why? Because this joy is gigantic. This joy is impervious to pain. This joy is bigger than what we know, isn't it? This is a big, big joy. So when we come to church, I I see this a lot. I'm not trying to pick on anybody right now. But I see this a lot where people will be like, I'm just not in the mood. Well, get in the mood. (laughs) That's all I got for you, right? Get in the mood. Why? Because you're, take, take, this, take this lovingly. I mean, I re, here's what I'm saying to you. I love you, and I mean it. There's, there's no triteness, there's no softness in this. I, or flippancy, there's softness in this. I deeply love you. But here's what I want you to see. The gigantic joy that's been set before you ought to make you think very little of whatever you're going through. I know, you can look at me and say, you don't know what I've been through this week. I get it. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying, it's, I'm not saying we don't need to weep through it. I'm not saying that we don't need to walk through it. I'm simply saying, in light of glory, in light of the King of Kings, get in the mood, <laughs> right? In light of the King of glory, we should be a people who go through all kinds of fire and all kinds of hell and then still be able to stand up and say, I praise the God in whom all blessings are. Amen? So. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.